turn with me, if you would, to Habakkuk chapter 3. We're just going to look at the first two verses this morning. Mainly just going to look at verse 2. Let's read this together. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon, and I want to pronounce this for you, okay? Here's the way it's pronounced in the Hebrew. It's pronounced this way. Shig, Yah, Yom. That's the way it's pronounced. So a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shig, Yah, Yom. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years, and in the midst of years make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Father, would you manifest yourself through your word in this moment? Father, I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Well, as we look into chapter 3, here's what transpires in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a song. It's a song in which Habakkuk is playing upon the instrument. Now you say, what do you mean the instrument? Well, the Shigyayon is referencing a musical instrument. Now you say, well, how do you know this? Well, look at the very last verse of chapter 3, verse 19. And you'll see it at the very bottom. The last phrase of verse 19. To the chief singer on my stringed instrument. And so this is a song. The song really begins in verse 3 and goes through verse 15. And there's three stanzas to the song. And so what begins as a prayer turns into a song. And Habakkuk now prays in verse 1 and 2, and he sings in verse 3 through verse 15. Now when you see this, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that there's been a drastic, drastic change that's took place in Habakkuk. And so he begins in praying here in verse 1 and 2 in relation to what he's already heard, seen, and know of God in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now remember, let's just real quickly recap. In chapter 1, we find Habakkuk beginning to cry out to God concerning Judah's sin, and he really complained, and he said, God, it seems to me that you're being indifferent. And then if you remember, he came back and he said, Oh, Habakkuk, I'm really working a work. You're just not going to like it when I tell you. And then he told him, he said, I'm rising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to come against Judah. They're going to pull Judah out of their land. They're going to take them into captivity, and I'm going to use them as a tool of grace to bring repentance within them. And Habakkuk said, well, I, you're right. I don't understand. I'm confused. How can you use evil people like the Chaldeans who are much evil than us being of Israel. And then he's waiting on a response. So we get to chapter 2. And he waits upon the Lord to give him a response. And all did the Lord give him a response. And the rest of chapter 2 is God's response to Habakkuk's complaint 
in the end of chapter 1. And God revealed to Habakkuk his holiness, his, his understanding of the sin of not only Judah, but of Babylon and how God was going to deal with not only the sin of Judah, but deal with the sin of Babylon. And God could not, listen, let sin go without dealing with it. And boy, I want to tell you something, folks. We need to understand God will not let sin go without dealing with it. Now, here's the reality. If you're saved today, then guess what? God dealt with it already in the Lord Jesus. But yet at the same time, there can be consequences to our sin even as a child of God. But aren't you glad today that forgiveness was taken care of through Christ? And so what we find here is we find Habakkuk now coming to chapter 3. God has laid out all these truths to him in chapter 2, and Habakkuk prays. But can I tell you, this prayer is totally different than chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so I want you to see this with me. Number one, the acknowledgement of Habakkuk. Now you say, what do you mean the acknowledgement of Habakkuk? Well, see, here's the thing. Habakkuk is going to acknowledge now what he has now learned about God. Now this song that was played upon this instrument that is called the Shig Yayon, here's what it is. It's used in Psalm chapter 7. And in Psalm chapter 7, it's used in this way. And Israel, through their history, would sing this song that Habakkuk has now penned, and they would sing it in times of trouble, but in also in times of rejoicing. They would sing it in the midst of their exile and their bondage as a prayer or as a song of prayer to what God is able to do. And then when they would receive deliverance, they would sing it again because God who they trusted that can, God did. And this song would become very prominent within Israel's history. And this is all it is, is an acknowledgement of Habakkuk concerning what he's learned about God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This, this, this will help us. We'll understand what Habakkuk is saying here. So let's go through this. In this acknowledgement of Habakkuk, you see the willingness of Habakkuk. He said, I prayed, and then verse 2, O Lord, I have heard. So in other words, he heard, then he prayed. What do you mean the willingness? Because here's one of the problems we run into. You see, Habakkuk was willing to hear. Habakkuk was willing to be open to what God said. Habakkuk had not closed his mind even though he was confused about what God was doing. He had not closed his mind that God knew what he was doing. Now, here's the thing. Your prayer life and my prayer life is only a true prayer life when it is based off of what we hear. From him. In other words, prayer is initiated by God and prayer is the demonstration of what we've heard of God. So therefore, Habakkuk first, you find a willingness. True prayer is, begins with a willingness to listen. Now here becomes the rub. See, most of us don't mind listening to what God has to say. As long as what we hear matches what we think. But when God says something we don't think, or we're not 
in tune to or we don't like, then all of a sudden it's like somebody turning their hearing aids off. I remember one time I was in a little small group study and we were talking about hearing from God and being open to listen to God. And, and, and one man who had hearing aids, and he was really almost legally deaf without those hearing aids, and he got to talking and he said, you know, listen. He said it's like a husband listening to his wife or a wife listening to her husband. And, and, and I asked him, I said, explain what you mean. He said, well, when she's talking to me and I like what she's talking to, I'm willing to listen. But when we get in an argument, I just reach up without her knowing it and I turn my hearing aids off and I don't hear a thing she's saying. And that's the way we are with God sometimes. But see, Habakkuk was willing to listen. And that's where prayer life begins. Not only do you see the willingness of Habakkuk, you see the witness of to Habakkuk. And you say, what do you mean the witness to Habakkuk? Because what God said witnessed to Habakkuk. Now I want you to look at the wording here in verse 2. Oh Lord, I heard thy speech. Now this word speech is a Hebrew word, and here's what it means. I heard thy report, or you could do it this way, I heard thy fame. And you say, what is it saying? Here's what Habakkuk's saying. God, I heard your report about yourself. So in other words, what did Habakkuk hear? Habakkuk heard what God had to say about himself. In other words, God didn't just say something. God said something about himself. And when God said something about himself, listen, this absolutely gripped Habakkuk. Because all of chapter 2 was God laying out his justice, his holiness, and how he will deal with sin. And so here is Habakkuk. Now, what has he learned? Well, he's learned, number one, the sovereignty of God. He's learned the holiness of God. He's learned the justice of God. He's learned God is without partiality. That God's not just going to deal with Judah. God's going to deal with Babylon and Judah. In other words, God's going to deal with sin, and it didn't matter who was involved. And so, this became a witness to Habakkuk. And now Habakkuk has this witness of God's report of himself that now begins to resonate in his life. Can I ask you a question today? What's God trying to teach you about himself? And are you open to what God's trying to teach you? Because here's the reality. From the moment of God bringing us to himself in salvation till the moment we breathe our last breath, God is always trying to reveal himself. The Bible says you can't be saved unless you have a revelation of who he is. Because 2 Corinthians 4 says it this way, you're blind by the God of this world unless the light of the glorious gospel in the face of Jesus Christ should shine in your heart. In other words, the basis of which you see you're a sinner as a lost person is God letting you get a glimpse at who he is. And then you see yourself in relation to who he is. Because, see, I can take you through a quiz. Have you ever stolen? 
have you ever lied? And I can take you through a series of questions and you could walk away and say, oh, yep, I've done those things, I'm a sinner. Oh, but listen, that's just your education about what it is to be a sinner. Holy Spirit conviction takes you past your education. Holy Spirit convicts you, takes you to the place where the reality of what that means in the light of how God sees you. And that's where it begins. And then as you're saved, God's continuing to show you himself over and over and over again. He shows you through the word. He shows you through his deeds. He shows you through his works. He shows you through his actions. He shows you through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God's always trying to show you himself. And so what we find here is not only the willingness of Habakkuk to listen, but the witness of what God said about himself. And the impact it had in Habakkuk's life. Now, let me show you the second thing. Not only the acknowledgement of Habakkuk, but the awe of Habakkuk. Look what it says here, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech or thy report about yourself and was afraid. The word afraid here means awe. That's what it means. Habakkuk saying, God... He said, I've heard what your answer was. You remember, he got up on the watchtower and waited and waited and waited for God to give him an answer. And God laid it out and man, oh, did God lay it out. And how Habakkuk's heard the report of God about himself, about his holiness, his sovereignty, and his... And now all of a sudden, here's what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk says, I'm in awe. I'm absolutely overwhelmed. But what I now know about you, God. A.W. Tozer said this. To know God is one of the hardest things but the easiest things you'll ever walk in. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. Is it the hardest or the easiest? Yes. And you say, what do you mean? Well, see, the problem's not on God's side. The problem's on our side. See, a lot of us want to know more about God so we can be educated or that we can boast about it or that we can have more knowledge about Him. i got news for you. To know God goes beyond what you educationally know about Him. And so therefore, God's got to find somebody that's got a willing heart not only to listen, but a willing heart to set aside all their personal perceptions about God so God can teach them. So is it easy? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. The hard part's God getting in you in a place where it can be easy. And see, this is what's going on with Habakkuk. Habakkuk here heard God's report about himself, what he's going to do. And here's what Habakkuk said. Wow. I'm in awe. I'm absolutely overwhelmed by the report you gave me about yourself and what you're going to do. Folks, listen to 
When's the last time you got alone with God? And when you got up off of your knees or your face or your study chair or whatever it is that you get alone with God in? When's the last time you got alone with God and you just got up and went, wow. When's the last time God just overwhelmed you about himself? You see, this is where Habakkuk's at now. And Habakkuk has heard what God had to say, waiting for God to speak. God spoke. And Habakkuk said, all I can say is, God, I'm just absolutely, overwhelmingly in awe of who you are. We were talking about revival before me and the deacons prayed this morning. I'm going to tell you something. You'll never know revival until God can get you to a place where you're at awe of who he is. Because then you see yourself. Then revelation brings brokenness. Brokenness brings repentance. But God's got to manifest himself first. And when we're willing to be open, when we're willing to listen, then here's what takes place. Now, watch what happens here with Habakkuk. I want you to see two things that comes from this awe that we see in Habakkuk. Number one, a change in attention. Now watch this. Habakkuk said, I heard your report and I'm in awe. Now remember, chapter 1, chapter 2. Where was Habakkuk's attention? Well, in chapter 1 in the beginning, it was on Judah and their sin. In chapter 1, at the end, it was on the Chaldeans and their sin. And then coupled with that, Habakkuk's attention was on himself because Habakkuk didn't understand. So Habakkuk saw Judah, Habakkuk saw the Chaldeans, Habakkuk saw his own confusion, but now God's gave him a report about himself, and here's what the only thing Habakkuk sees. Wow, God. Now I understand. Now I know. And now all of a sudden, watch what's happened. All of Habakkuk's attention is not on Judah. It's not on the Chaldeans. It's not on himself and his own thinking of himself. Now all of a sudden, all his attention is on God. And can I tell you when God's trying to get your attention? He's trying to get your eyes off of your success or he's trying to get your eyes off of yourself or your own opinions. Hello. Or your own decisions or your own wants or your own desires and he's trying to get your attention on him. Because when your attention's on him, everything else will come into its proper perspective. You see this all in which Habakkuk has now come to, has changed his attention. But let me show you a second thing this all has done for Habakkuk. It's changed his attitude. You say, what do you mean? Well, Habakkuk is so overwhelmed with the splendor of God. 
that now, instead of arguing with God, Habakkuk's just amazed with God. Instead of being confused about God's ways, Habakkuk now is confident in God's ways. You see, it wasn't just his attention that changed. But when God got his attention off the Chaldeans and off of Judah and off of himself, and God got his attention on himself, being God, now all of a sudden, Habakkuk's attitude changed. Can I tell you what you're not going to find in the rest of chapter 3? You're not going to find anywhere in the rest of chapter 3 that Habakkuk says to God, God, I don't understand. God, I'm confused. God, why? God, what are you up to? Because Habakkuk now has come to know God through the report God gave him. And Habakkuk was so in awe with God. Habakkuk says, you're God. It's okay with me. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I want to quote him. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about Habakkuk's attention and attitude. How was Habakkuk brought to such a position? He goes on to say, it would seem that it was when he stopped thinking of his own nation or of the Chaldeans and contemplated only the holiness and justice of God against the dark background of sin that he saw in the world. Our problem can nearly be traced to our persistence in looking at the immediate problems themselves instead of looking at them in the light of who God is. How much time do you focus on the problem? How much time do you focus on the problem of what's going on in this country? How much time do you focus on the problems you're going through in your personal life? How much time do you focus on the problem of disease or the problem of of anarchy or the problem of government or the problem of health or the problem of anything else? And how much time do you just focus on God? And focusing on God, God puts the problems in its proper light. You see, the report God gave Habakkuk about himself not only changed his attention, but changed his attitude. And now Habakkuk sees everything in a whole different light. Let me show you thirdly. Habakkuk now accepts everything God said he is doing and going to do. He's not questioning it. He's not confused about it anymore. He's just come to the place of saying, yep, God, I trust you. You know what you're doing. I accept whatever you're doing. Now what? How do you know that this is where Habakkuk's at? Because watch what he says here. The first thing you're going to see is the request in his acceptance. How do you know Habakkuk is now accepting what God's going to do? Well, notice his request. 
He says, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. What work? Raising the Chaldeans to come against Judah, to pull them into captivity, that God could use the Chaldeans to bring Judah to a place of repentance. He says, revive thy work. Oh, God, I see you from a whole different light. I understand you in a whole different way. I understand you're holy and you're sovereign, and you're not going to let the Chaldeans get away with their sin. You're not going to let Judah get away with their sin. I understand you are doing what's best for Judah, and you're going to do what's best in your holiness he says, now cut. Revive that work in the midst of these years. The word revive, here's what it means. Make alive. How many of you agree today when God saved you, he made you alive? I didn't hear you. How many agree when God saved you, you went from dead to be made alive? So what's revival? Revival is God making what he made you alive with reality in your life. Roy Hessian said it this way, Revival is nothing more and nothing less than the life of the Lord Jesus came alive in you, being having full access to you, whereby the life of the Lord Jesus can manifest himself through you at any moment, any time, any part of the day. So here's what Habakkuk prays. God, you told me your work. You told me what you were up to. You remember, God told Habakkuk in chapter 1 when Habakkuk was complaining about his indifference or what seemed to be indifference towards Judah. Remember God said, listen, Habakkuk, I'm already doing a work. Look around. Now Habakkuk fully understands and now Habakkuk sees God, you, you really do. You know what you're doing. So here's, here's Habakkuk's response. He said, so in light of what I now know, make alive thy mighty work. What's Habakkuk saying? Habakkuk's now got going back and saying, God, I don't understand. Why are you going to do this? Now Habakkuk's saying, do it. Do it now. Make it reality now. Notice the wording. In the midst of the years. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to accept whatever God wants to do in your life? Now you better be careful how you answer that. Because God will take you up on it. But are you willing to accept it to this point? That you're not just going to say, God, if you got to, I'll accept it. That's not what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk said, God, now I see who you are. Now I understand what you're up to. God, not only do I accept it, but make it happen now. I've seen people that God's been trying to call to a ministry, whether it be mission work or 
pastoring or preaching. And I've seen people that, well, you know, maybe one day I'll be at a place where I can receive that. That's not accepting what God's up to. I've seen people, God's working in their life to save them. And here's what they'll say. Well, maybe one day when I get over this or I get over that or I delivered from this or I listen, you're not accepting what God's doing. You see, when you accept what God's up to, you're going to pray and say, God, make alive your mighty work now, not later. We can't afford to wait. But God, you're sovereign. And I'm going to trust you in it. So not only do we find here this request and acceptance, make alive thy mighty work, but notice, make alive thy manifested work. Watch what he says. Revive thy work in the midst of years. Now what does he repeat? In the midst of years... Make known. You say, well, what was he talking about? Make known to who? To Judah and to the Chaldeans in which you're going to do this work. Make known to them that you're God. And this is your work. In other words, don't let Judah walk away from, from this entanglement or this pulling out of the land of Israel and the bringing into captivity. Don't let them excuse it away. Well, we're just having some bad luck or these are just bad circumstances. No, no, no. He said, make it known that it's God that allowed this to happen. Let me tell you something. God wants to do a mighty work. But God always wants to do a mighty work that God could be known. Not that man can brag. Make alive thy mighty work. Make alive thy manifested work. Here's what he's saying. God, would you do this work in my days? In my days. Say, Habakkuk, you don't have a clue what you're saying. You're asking God to put you and the people you love in circumstances of bondage and labor and pulling you out of your homes and losing all your possessions and Habakkuk, you don't know what you're asking. Oh, Habakkuk knew exactly what he was asking. Here's what Habakkuk knew. God, Judah's never going to come to the place of repentance with a soft landing. You're going to have to do a mighty work. And since you're going to have to do it, Habakkuk says, do it in my years. Habakkuk? was willing to let God do this kind of work in the years 
that Habakkuk would experience it with the people of Judah. Now here's what we would say. Oh God, would you do that work? After I'm dead. I want everybody to look at me real close. Everybody looking at me, say amen. amen. What's God trying to do in you? Has God got you to a place you could pray like a backup prayer? I accept it, do it now. Well, that's the request in his acceptance. What's the reason for his acceptance? You remember in chapter 2, God made this statement, the just shall live by what? I didn't hear you. The just shall live by what? So what's the reason for his acceptance? Because here's what Habakkuk's asking. Do this work in the midst of my years that you can make alive within Judah again faith living as just that they could as I am now doing. You can make alive in them faith that's lived out through their life as just people. Well, Notice, fourthly, the appeal of Habakkuk. He has one last appeal. In wrath, remember mercy. The word wrath here is a little different Hebrew word than you may think. Is it in reference to the judgment of God? It is, but it has a little different reference. It's not in reference to what God is doing going to do and doing, but it's reference in how people respond to what he's going to do. The word's translated many times this way, tremble. So here's what Habakkuk is appealing to God. A cry of restlessness. He's saying, God, do this work. Do this work in the midst of my ears. Do this work. God, we need you to do this work. As hard as it's going to be, do this work. Then in our trembling, our restlessness. Why would God want to bring you to a place of restlessness? Why would God want to make you tremble? Because if you are living in self-sufficiency, you only give up your dependence to him when God does such a work in you that you realize you can't trust yourself anymore and you can only trust him. What was Judah's problem? Well, see, they thought they were the apple of God's eye and they thought God would just look past all their sin. They're idolatry. And they wanted God, but they wanted what they wanted on an equal level with God. They were self-sufficient. They were self-dependent. And so here's what Habakkuk says. In your wrath, 
and you doing this work that's going to bring Judah to trembling. Make us restless until we repent and yield. Psalm chapter 119, verse 120, here's what it says, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I'm afraid of thy judgment. Let me tell you something. If you're in here today, you're in here today and you're lost, you better let God give you a fresh understanding of who you are in light of how he sees you because you ought to understand that there's going to come a day you're going to stand before a holy and mighty God who can have nothing to do with sin, and the only hope you have is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, and at the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, that's the only way you have confidence or will have confidence or can come boldly before his throne. And you better come to the place of allowing God to bring you to a place of fear and trembling. But if you're saved, you better let God do it as well. Because, say, folks, we're going to give account of the works that he was able to do in and through us. Y'all have heard me say this many times. We sing these songs. Sweet, sweet Holy Spirit. I got news for you. Sometimes he's not very sweet. He convicts of truth. He reminds of truth. He reveals truth. How many agree sometimes you go to truth, and it's not sweet, it's convicting? Now, if you understand conviction right, you can say, well, preacher, that's sweet. It is. But I want to tell you something. Sometimes it hurts. He said, God in wrath, remember mercy. See, here's how much confidence Habakkuk has in God. He said, God, I know what you're going to do. I know what you're going to allow. I know what you're going to do, and I know why you're doing it. I understand you and all your holiness and all your justice now. And he says, I pray again, let it happen in my years. Don't hold back. But God, I also know that in doing your work of bringing us to a place of trembling, I also know you're a God of mercy. One of the things you'll find out all through Scripture, even in Revelation, in the tribulation, here's what you're going to find out. That all through Scripture, because God is holy and just, He must judge sin. But everywhere you see the judgment of God, you also see the mercy of God at work as well. Go back with me just a moment. Where's the greatest place that we see the full blunt of God's judgment? The cross. That God would judge your sin and my sin in his own son who knew no sin. And if you were stood there at the moment when the Lord Jesus was nailed to that cross, 
you would have probably stood there. And if you had any consciousness of what was taking place, you would have stood there like that whole crowd did. And what those disciples did following the Lord Jesus, not understanding what was taking place. And you would have stood there like Habakkuk did in chapter 1, confused, belittled. God, why would you allow this? But as God was manifesting the full blunt of his judgment on your sin and my sin through the Lord Jesus, in an equal way, God was manifesting his mercy because it should have been you and it should have been me. And God was declaring from the cross, I am holy and I will not let sin go. But I am merciful and gracious and therefore I'll judge my son in your place. Habakkuk said, God, you've got to do what you said you were going to do. I understand it now. But I also understand you're a God of mercy. So there's going to be a point in time that what you allow to take place, you at, at the same time will deliver them out of the very bondage you're going to allow them to go into. How many of you are glad God showed you mercy one day? It should have been you. It should have been me. In the imagination of your mind, would you do me a favor? Pretend you're standing under the cross. Can you get it in your mind? The Lord Jesus hanging there, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, crown of thorns up on his brow, blood dripping down. Y'all see it? Now pretend to go back to the back side of the cross. Do you just see him? Or do you see that the Bible says when he was crucified, you were crucified with him? Have you ever seen yourself on the cross? See, it's Jesus that's the only one that could pay the penalty. But the Bible says when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose, you rose. So in other words, how did God see the cross? He didn't see just the Lord Jesus. He saw Christ representing you and me. Mercy. 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 What's God trying to do in your life? What's God trying to show you about himself? Are you willing to accept it whereby you can be like Habakkuk and pray, God, and now, now in these years, would you make it reality? Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you.
I thank you for your divine work. I thank you that you're always revealing yourself. I thank you today that your word says the God could not be known was seen. The God who could not be seen was seen in the person of Christ Jesus. I thank you today that your word says no one can look upon you and live. But yet you manifest yourself in so many ways. And you made a way that we could know you. So, Father, in this group of folks, just sitting right here in this place, what are you trying to make known about yourself to each person in here? Maybe you're trying to let them see today that you're the only hope and their only help and until they relinquish their own self-sufficiency and self-control and come by the way of the cross that they can never truly know you in salvation. Father, maybe there's folks in here today, they're saved. They know the day that you... You identified them with the cross of Christ and they died to who they were and in faith and repentance they yielded themselves unequivocally to you. But Father, they, you're trying to make yourself known that they can't live the Christian life in their own effort, in their own energy and in their own power. You're trying to show them today that just like in their salvation, you're the only hope they have to live the Christian life. Father, how are you trying to make yourself known in this place this morning? Now, Father, in your grace, will you let us accept it? For your honor, your glory, and your namesake, in Jesus' name, and all God's children said,